the Apostle Paul had this incredible, I, I, first of all, I'd say genius that, and, and you might also call it spiritual intuitiveness, where he would travel around, and if you've, uh, probably a lot of people don't really get what happened in Paul's life, but he traveled, and when he traveled, he would go, because he was Jewish, he would go to places far away from Jerusalem, but where they had a Jewish synagogue, and he would get up and he would speak probably um, as a guest to this uh, synagogue. And of course, when he did, he would speak from the scriptures because all the, his uh, Jewish brothers and sisters were there, and they deeply respected the scriptures. And, and then he would expound and teach from there. But as Paul traveled further and further towards Rome, actually, uh, to his west, he got farther and farther away from Jerusalem, and there wouldn't be synagogues. So he would just go out into the, the courtyards and the marketplaces. So like if you read in Acts, he's just out in the marketplace, and uh, basically they didn't care what people were doing in the synagogue, and they didn't care what the Scripture said. So Paul would stand up at like Mars Hill, which is uh, now a, a, still a famous place in the center of Athens, a mountaintop where the Acropolis is, and right next to it was a place called Mars Hill, and they had all these statues, and he said, see this statue? And he would start to expound. It was a statue to an unknown God. And he said, I want to talk to you about this statue. And then he would go on, and then he would quote, not the scriptures, he would quote their own Jewish prophets and poets. He says, you know, we are all his offspring, as your own poets have said. So in other words, I think as you move through your spiritual journey in life, one of the things that happens is, first, you start to see God in a lot more places than you could when you were young. Have you found that to be true? You can, start, you can find God on a fishing trip. You can find God uh, in all kinds of places. And the other thing is you start to notice God even in difficult things even in painful things. Man, I'll never, I guess I'll never uh, hear that song the same way. When I think about blue and red being mixed together, to me the blue is the sky of heaven and the red is the, the blood and the tears of loss and suffering. And the truth is all of our lives are purple. The truth is life is some mixture, if you're willing to be open to it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we're going to go through the stages of grief and loss, and I want to read them to you. I want to go through them. And first thing I want you to do is relax, because you, this is not something you're supposed to check off. How many people like to check things off? Who likes to just get it done? Get the list and bang it out. One, two. Huh? Who feels great when you got the whole list done at the end of the day? Sit back on the porch. Man, does it feel good to check them off. Ready? You're not going to be able to check these off. So don't, don't get them on your checklist. But I do want to go through them because I think they are unbelievably helpful. These kind of came to us in the 60s uh, by a, name, a lady named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she, she spent countless hours with dying patients. And it formulated into a book and into the stages. And if you, like I said, we can learn from this, and we can also learn from the scriptures, because you'll see the truth always comes together. It converges. So let me read from Matthew 16. 
Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do, the, the, who do people say the Son of Man is? He gets the disciples together. He starts talking to them about, who are people saying that I am? And they say, well, they say you're Elijah. They say, well, you're one of the prophets. And he looks at him. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Man, boom. And Peter, just like you and me, can get it in one minute and not get it the minute. Is this true? Have you found this to be true? Like halfway you know it and halfway you have no clue. Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes on and he says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. That he must be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Anyone here ever rebuked? <laughs> uh, come over here for a minute. Let me, Jesus, let me explain a few things to you about how life really works. Because in, in Peter's mind, this was not part of how things were supposed to go. Does anyone here ever kind of set up a game plan in your mind about how your life's supposed to go? Well, I'm going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and then this will work out. And my mom told me this years ago. She said, people plan and God laughs. Isn't this true? We get it all figured out in our head. This is what will happen, and this will happen. But you and I really have so little control over what's going to happen in our life. But Peter did not want this to happen. Peter expected something completely different. And he, he says to him, never, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. And, of course, Jesus turned to Peter, and he says, you're a stumbling block. You don't have in mind the things of God. You don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. Good question for you. What's in your mind? What's in your mind? Is it the things of God? Or the things of men. That doesn't mean do you think about church all the time, or do you? Th does it? It means something way deeper than that. It means, are you thinking along the lines of how God thinks about things, or are you thinking along the lines of how us humans think about things? Loss, suffering, dying. Humans don't look at that and go, "Great." We are programmed to avoid pain, loss, and suffering at all costs. Um, a while back, I did a, a book study with some uh, friends of mine, and these guys, we were reading a book, and, and, and a key part of the book was for us to grow, we had to go through suffering. They hated the book. I thought, for sure, these guys are going to love it because this is so much about growing. But people don't want to hear that. What we want to hear is all you have to do is never miss church, and everything's going to be wonderful. We want to hear, if I do these four steps, you're always going to have a good job, your kids are always going to be healthy, and you're always going to be loved. And life doesn't work that way. So the first thing Jesus teaches Peter is you can't live in 
denial. Here's the stages. Ready? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. We're going to go through these over the next few weeks, but don't check them off on a checklist. Don't try to follow them. Because as we say, you don't follow the steps of grief. They follow you. They just unfold in your life. One day, you're just going to be mad, so mad. And then you'll be able to come back to this and go, oh. A lot of times what happens is we start to later on recognize that our anger was really part of our grief process. Think about it. Some guy got the job you wanted to get. You're angry. But you can say, oh, it's fine, it's wonderful. But deep down, you're angry. You're supposed to get that job. What are you mourning? You're mourning the loss, what you didn't get. And so you can find these in all types of areas of your life, but don't try to follow them. Don't worry about them, but just understand them as they unfold. And here's Peter, classic example of denial, complete denial. Anyone here ever been in denial about something in your life before? Oh, man, I was so good at this. Whoever here has been in denial about your weight, don't raise your hand. But here's what you do. Here's what you do. You just, for a while, you know it's not going the right direction for you, so you avoid the scale. That helps. You don't avoid the kitchen. You avoid the scale. Does this, does this see that? So here's the way I'm going to fix this. I'm not going to know. And, and in my head, I'm going to tell myself it's that old number that used to pop up there, right? And deep down, deep down, you know there's no, there's no way. There's no possibility. But what you, your, your mind, and this is what we do to ourselves, we just think, if I don't ever see it, if the, if the number doesn't hit me, I'm good. So instead of walking by the scale, we make a detour to the kitchen for some chips. Who loves chips? I love chips. Oh, do I love chips? Huh? So in life, one of the things we do that's financially, things aren't going right. They aren't going well. So instead of going to the mailbox, opening that visa bill that just they couldn't even fold, they couldn't even get it folded, it's just the, the, the envelopes trembling like this, ready to burst, we don't go and look at it and take a hard look at what have I been spending my money. No, instead, go to the mall. Because <laughs> it's something so stressed out. If you think I'm far from the truth, I'm not far. It's like this will relieve this. This will take this away from me. And what are we doing? We're in denial. We're perpetuating reality. right? We're, we're, I'm just going to push it off and push it off. And one of the things that, and by the way, when it comes to dying and grief, it's, it's not like this is a bad thing. You're human, I'm human. Most of us live most of our life in some form of subtle denial. A guy, another guy in the 60s wrote an entire book about it. I believe you won a Pulitzer Prize, and the book was entitled The Denial of Death. He said, we've built our entire culture on denying you just do it to survive, right? Now, I'm not saying that, boy, it would be healthy if you just walked around every single day just moping, you know, with an I'm nearly dead sign over your head. But 
wouldn't our culture perhaps do better if we were a little more in tune to the reality of loss of all kinds, including our own physical death? Now, I'm going to step out uh, of, I'm no expert, but I'm going to try to employ the expertise of some who have written before, because I will have to wade through these territories myself. But I remember conversations as a child growing up where your parents and others were trying to decide, um, can the child handle this death? Do they go in or do they stay home? Now, I'm not trying to tell you you're a good parent or a bad parent on what you do, but Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who studied death and dying for years and years and years, was thoroughly convinced that we're shielding our kids from something at their own and our own demise. Make your own judgment, but listen. This is real. Can you think back to one of the first traumatic experiences that you had as a kid? Wasn't it Old Yeller? I mean, wasn't it? Where at some point you have to realize this is a part of life. She went on to write, she went on to write that she's over the years heard different things that people would say, such as a child that dies and some well-meaning person. And by the way, um, when people lose someone, people always say, what do I say? You don't have to say anything. Anything, but don't even just kind of give a couple of scriptures? Probably not. If they ask for some, go digging. What people need are not your words and your wisdom. People just need your presence. Your presence. Most people, when someone they lose someone, they're in shock. And they will remember the people that were close to them. Not all the things that they said. If you remember the story of Job, when Job loses his family, his friends come around him, and for seven days they all sit together, and they all say nothing. It's the silence. It's the sitting. It's the presence. It's not all the quick answers and cliches. She said, you know, it became a cliche or a thing to say, his parents lost their child, and they said, well, maybe these well-meaning people, I suppose, came and said, well, maybe God loved them so much that he just wanted to take them. Now, what kind? She said, I think these people ended up for years, years later, having to unpack this cruel God. It was like a cruel parent that would steal one child from another, say, well, I'm so needy, I have to take this. The reality is, Loss, death is a part of life. It just is. I'm not saying I have easy answers about how to handle this with children, but I will say this. She's thoroughly convinced that this was unwise to hide from children. Why? Because kids know things. Have you ever realized this? Kids know things. You say, oh, I get, no, boy, they, they, they pick up on things. And what happens is you deny them the grief that they need. And so it just gets shoved down. One of the big parts as we're going to go through the series is some of the ailments 
some of the problems in our society is facing is because we haven't been good at grief as a society. We shove it down. And because we shove it down, we have a lot of anger in our world. Anybody seen some anger out there? Not going to deal with it. What is anger? Anger is a rollover emotion. Think of it. It's a rollover emotion because you're angry at something. Well, I'm angry at this person, the way they drive. But usually you just have to keep asking a few more questions. But why? Why do I care about how that guy drives? Why do I care if he gets to the stoplight 0.4 seconds before me? Honestly, there's no logic to it. But what we have to realize is something's brewing underneath. Something's deeper. It's a rollover. And so every good therapist will do this. They'll take, it, they'll take the thing apart like reverse engineering, and they take it apart until they get to the root issue. And nine times out of ten, it's grief. It's a loss. And we just, the, the problem with loss is this. It's not going to get fixed. I tell people this all the time. The stages of grief are like waves in the ocean. They just come. They kind of come out of nowhere, and they just crash over you, and then they subside, then they pull away. But if you love someone, they're never going to go away completely. And deep down, do you want them to? But what it does, as you grieve, if you grieve well, is you don't allow that to control your life anymore. There's a difference. Your life can still have meaning and fruit and happiness and hurt. As we said last week, the, the, the resurrected Jesus had the scars. They were still there. They weren't erased. And so we deny it's normal. But over time, reality will set in for us. You know, Reality starts to set in for all of us. I think uh, we start to realize, I can't throw the football the way I used to throw the football. You know, I can't run up and down the stairs the way I used to run up and down the stairs. And it's as if our culture is making, um, making a specialty out of trying to deny that we are aging. And let, me, let me just say something that's so important. Do you realize in the scripture, they genuinely believed and talked about the wisdom of those that were aging? In our culture, we're doing the exact opposite. We're celebrating youth. It's like, who are our heroes? Some person that can make on their cell phone some crazy video, and they're 14 years old, and they're billionaires, right? And we're just like, oh, look at, and I don't have any axe to grind. I'm just telling you, if you take a step back, people would go, what? These are the role models? The ancient wisdom of Scripture said there is a time to be born, there's a time to die. There's a time to gather stones, and there's a time to scatter stones. As if there's a time to collect stuff in your life, there's a time to get rid of stuff. Think about that. I was talking to someone yesterday, part of Orchard Grove, and they said, you know, I put all my belongings in a 16 by 18 foot, that's, that's all I got. It's a transition part of life. All of these things are wake-up moments for us that we aren't going to live forever. Now, 
Is there hope? Well, of course. Jesus says, and then I will be raised again. I will be raised again. And so Scripture talks about we haven't even conceived of what is ahead, what is beyond. I was trying to explain it this way. You know, Charlie has this incredible vocabulary. People tell me that all the time. You know, I, I did a wedding yesterday. People, it's, where, she has an incredible, I have no idea because she's just Charlie to me and she says whatever she says and I'm always blown away what she says. And, but they, she has this incredible vocabulary. And so you might think that because she has this vocabulary, because she can put sentences together, that she can reason. Uh, but she cannot. It's very different. Can she put a sentence together? Does she have a vocabulary? Yes. Can she reason? No. You have in mind the things of God or the things of men. A lot of times, God's on a different plane. And what grief and loss and suffering do, if we allow it to, it allows us to break through to a different plane. People that have experienced loss are oftentimes, if they grieve well, they're changed. And they're changed for the better because they have to transcend to a different level. We were at the wedding last night, and Charlie wanted to get on the little trampoline. They had all this stuff for kids. So she was in heaven last night, going from one thing to the next. And she got on this trampoline, and she hadn't spent much time on a trampoline, just a little bit. So she's getting her, just getting her groove, getting her little bounce on. And then all these kids started getting on there. And how many of you have ever been on? It's one thing to be on a trampoline by yourself. It's a whole other animal when everyone else gets in there, right? And now she can't tell when the bump's coming. She's totally disoriented. Kids are on there. Next thing you know, they flopped her on her diaper. Next thing you know, she's on her head. And these kids are bouncing her all over. And I'm thinking, when do I intervene, right? She's bouncing like a little ping pong ball all over this thing. And she kept, she'd try to get up. And it would, they'd bounce her back down. And I thought, that's, it. that's exactly what grief is. You can't even tell when the next bump's coming. The ground underneath your feet is shifting. And it's, it's like one thing, if everything's steady, okay, I know to get up, and I know I can stand here, and I know I can walk over there. And her old mind is saying, I will just stand up, and I will just walk to the exit. But she stood up, and the next thing you knew, the ground shifted again, and she was what? Back on her rear end, back on her head. Isn't that what grief does to us? Isn't that what life does to us? It shifts the ground underneath you. Peter would take a long time, but he got through it. And as you know, Peter became a leader in the movement of Jesus. So much so that legend has it, we don't know this for sure, but Peter was crucified, and he asked to be crucified upside down. The man who ran and denied and was so afraid embraced it in the end. And you know, the apostle Paul did too. Because when Paul came to the end of his life, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. Man, I really thought about this series a lot because I thought, people, they're never going to come back to church if I talk about this for five weeks. But you know something? If you took the time, if I took the time, just for a minute, not 24 hours a day, but for a minute or two to contemplate your own death, 
it's like, I can't even believe it came out of his mouth. He said it. But here's the crazy thing. It's the one thing that's going to happen for sure in your life. Maybe, just maybe, you can approach it the way Jesus did. With calm, with passion, with dignity, and look, with purpose. Because here's, here's what can happen. Once you face that reality, it can free you. This is the key thing. It can free you to live like you've never, ever lived before. It doesn't put you in a little hole and say, now I just go bury my... No, no, no. What it does, because what did Jesus do? Because he knew this. Jesus could live his life with absolute abandon and purpose because he knew what God's plan was for him, what his purpose was. Avoiding death was not on the table. It's not on the table. It's not on the cards for you either. But living your life... That is. And once you face this, you come to the place where you go, I'm ready. I can live my life to the absolute fullest. Someone came to me last week. I loved it. Stopped by my house. They were on their bike. And they said, Chris, I just, man, you know, my wife and I were talking, and we weren't sure that we understood everything you were saying last week. And I said, you know, and we were asking, we had a good conversation. And I said, let me just simplify it. You're going to die. And you should think about it, not avoid it. Where that takes you, because a lot of what people want to do in life is they want to avoid the most obvious things in life. And denial never helps the situation. Denial won't help you lose weight. Denial won't help you get right financially. Denial won't help you fix broken relationships. And denial will not help you live your best life. When, when the story's over, when Peter finally gets it, remember, after the resurrection, they reunite. And Jesus and Peter had this conversation. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, oh, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. What's he doing? He said, there's purpose for you. There's something for you to do. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Right? What is God saying to you? He's not saying, oh, you should be morbid and walk. No, that's not what facing death is about. It's not about being morbid. It's about having purpose with your life to say, you know what? I am going to die. I might as well get to living. Huh? Who wants it to be their legacy? Oh, you never missed a Monday night football game on the couch. <laughs> Nothing wrong. I watched my share of football. But is that the legacy? Or is it the legacy that I did something with my life? I used the days and the minutes and the hours to feed God's sheep, whatever that calling is for you. That's what it means to step out of the denial and to live, live your life to its fullest.